Well, hello, faith family. Uh, if you've got your Bible, would you please turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12? Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Uh, as today we're going to finish up our series we've called The Search, as we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes. While you're turning there, uh, by the time you uh, hear this, I will, Lord willing, be in China. Uh, I'm going to be leading a team uh, here from Berean uh, on a mission trip to China as we're going to be working among some villages of unreached people groups, and so we would certainly uh, encourage our faith family to be in prayer for us uh, while we're gone, while we're on mission. Just pray for opportunities for us to be able to, to share the gospel with people who literally have never even heard the name Jesus, and so uh, we, we appreciate your prayers. also want to encourage you uh, to be here the next couple of weeks. Um, we're going to be relaunching our Go Ministries. Uh, you know we align everything here around gather, grow, give, and go, and the next couple of weeks we're going to be talking about some new strategies, some a new vision for our, our Go ministry, so it's really important that you be here uh, for that, and so encourage you uh, to make plans for for that. But I personally wanted to finish uh, this series uh, through Ecclesiastes and, and going to, to do that uh, today. The feedback of this series has been amazing. In fact, it's been one of the most enjoyable books uh, that I've ever uh, taught through because the key word has been relevant. It's been so true to our life. If you're new with us today, it's about how do you find meaning? How do you make sense out of life? When life doesn't make sense. And before we dive into the text, let me just say that on my blog, I'm going to be putting a full outline of the book of Ecclesiastes for those of you that would like kind of a summary of our study, as well as uh, we'll have the entire audio series put together. I know some of you have been asking about that, and so you can pick that up uh, as well. So uh, I'm going to ask you now, if you would, to please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word, and let's look at the end of Ecclesiastes here at chapter 12, and let's pick up here at verse 9. I am convinced that these words come to us with the very authority of God. Word of God says, Besides being wise, the preacher, or Koheleth, also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings they are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Would you pray with me now and pray for our time together? Father, thank you for uh, what you've been teaching us in this series. Uh, Lord, thank you that um, you've given us this book to help us think about what do we look to to find meaning? What, what's our heart searching for? We're all doing that to some degree, and you've been teaching us those things. And we just pray that today you would teach us once again by your Holy Spirit and that you would draw us and point us to the answer of our search of meaning. 
That's Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, all right, you may be seated. Well, it's one of the most classic love stories that's ever been told. Uh, In fact, it's filled with all kinds of comedy. It's got adventure. It's got romance. Uh, There's a beautiful princess that's kidnapped by an evil prince and forced to marry him. All the while, the, the man that she loves is trying to save her. There's death. There's danger, there's a a struggle for power, and the search for love. Now, I'm not referring to the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm referring to that 1980s classic movie, The Princess Bride. The Princess Bride. Now, if you've seen the movie, if you know the story, you, you know that it's actually more than just a fairy tale about love. The story is more than just about this battle between good and evil. You know that there's actually a story behind the story. You're sick. That's why he's here. He'll pinch my cheek. I hate that. Maybe he won't. Hey, how are you sick? Huh? I think I'll leave you two pals alone. I brought you a special present. What is it? Open it up. A book? That's right. When I was your age, television was called books. And this is a special book. It was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick, and I used to read it to your father. And today, I'm going to read it to you. Any sports in it? Are you kidding? Fencing, fighting, torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, true love, miracles. Doesn't sound too bad. I'll try and stay awake. So what you discover is that uh, the story behind the story is actually about a grandfather and his grandson. Uh, The grandson is sick. He's staying home from school that day, and the grandfather comes over, and he's got a gift. He's got this book, uh, and they're going to read it together. Uh, And so as the story develops, as things begin to progress, uh, what you find is so does their relationship. Grandpa. You read that wrong. She doesn't marry Humperdinck. She marries Wesley. And just sure of it. After all that Wesley did for her, if she didn't marry him, it wouldn't be fair. Well, who says life is fair? Where is that written? Life isn't always fair. I'm telling you, you're messing up the story. Now get it right. Do you want me to go on with this? Yes. All right, then. No more interruptions. Now, I want you to get that image in your mind because... What's happening is, is as you're learning about all these details of the, of the fairy tale, as you're learning about all the, the, the variables that are taking place among the characters, what you discover is that behind it all, the story behind it all actually isn't about love. It's not just about a struggle for power. It's about a grandfather that's teaching his grandson about life. 
Faith family, that is exactly how you need to think about the book of Ecclesiastes. You see, over the past several weeks, we have been gripped by the story of Koheleth, uh, the preacher in our English translations. He is a wise and honest man. He is someone, the Bible tells us, that had, quote, more knowledge than anybody in Jerusalem before him. He cheered his body with wine. He gave himself to every pleasure. He built houses and vineyards. He had the treasure of kings, and he turned over every rock under the sun trying to find meaning in life. And like those U2 lyrics, he still couldn't find what he was looking for. Vanity. Vanity, says the preacher. Vanity, says Koheleth. And now the, the, the final chapter gets here and the curtain pulls back. And you see the story behind the story. You see what's been going on the entire time has not just been all the details of Koheleth and all the proverbs that he said. You see something else taking place. Look at verse 9 of chapter 12. Besides being wise, the preacher, that is Koeleth, also taught the people knowledge. You see the same thing in verse 10. Did you notice how the voice changed? Do you notice how now it's all of a sudden in third person? And, and if you remember at the beginning of the series, that's how this book starts. Uh, look back at chapter 1 and verse 1. The words of the preacher... You see the same voice, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Uh, verse 2, vanity of vanity says the preacher, which is different than, say, verse 12 of chapter 1 and then following, which is I, the preacher, said. I, the preacher, did. I, Koheleth, you see. It, it, it shifted now. You have this voice at the beginning of the book, now this voice at the end of the book. So what's the identity of the narrator? Who is this voice that's speaking at the end? Well, we don't know his name, we don't know his identity, but we do have an idea as to his relationship. Look at chapter 12 and verse 12. It says, My son... Beware of anything beyond these. So, if you know much about wisdom literature in the Old Testament, you know this is a lot like Proverbs. It's a, it's a genre where a father is teaching his son about wisdom in life. And so the story, behind the story, it's not just all the details of Koeleth. There's actually a father who's using this story, like in The Princess Bride, to teach his son about life. So what are those lessons? What are those lessons that his son needs to learn? Uh, what are those lessons that you and I need to learn as a result of this book? Look back at verse 9 and chapter 12, and let's read all of this together. It says, Besides being wise, Koheleth also taught the people knowledge, Weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care, the preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Verse 11, 
The words of the wise are like goads. They're like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings that are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. So here's what, here's what uh, the narrator is doing. It's, it's his evaluation of Koheleth's observations, right? Jot that down. This is the father's evaluation of Koheleth's observations. And so what is his evaluation? What does he say about what Koheleth has said? Well, number one, he says that Koheleth has taught knowledge and arranged proverbs with care. That is, he's accurate. He's precise in what he said. Number two, he would say that he wrote words of truth. That is, what Coelho said is right. What he said is honest. You may not like what you heard, but that doesn't make what you heard less true. He is right. These were words of truth to the point that the father can say, beware of anything beyond these. That is, everything that is needed to be said has been said. You don't need 25 chapters. What you have is enough. Coelith has said everything that needs to be said. Son, faith family, he is wise, and you need to listen to him. That's what the father's saying. Now, if you've been with us in the last uh, few weeks of this study, you might push back on that. And you say, I don't want to listen to what Coelith says. He's too negative. He's always being sarcastic. I, I, I just don't like what he has to say. And to that I would tell you, you've missed the point of the book. And I'm not trying to offend you today. I am trying to tell you this. It really doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't really matter what your evaluation would be. This is the author. This is the narrator's evaluation. And he's saying he's wise. You need to listen to him because what he's saying is valuable. What he's taught you is something you need to know. There are three things that I would say that this father is teaching his son through Coelith and three things you and I need to fully understand that this book of Ecclesiastes is teaching us. Here's the first, and it's life under the sun, which was the, the uh, extent of Coelith's search. Life under the sun is a struggle. Life under the sun is a struggle. Go back to chapter 2 and look at verse 15 and look at one thing that Coelith said. Uh, chapter 2, verse 15. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity for the wise. As of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have long been forgotten how the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and striving after the wind. Look at verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I would leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise. He'd probably be a, an idiot, right? So Coelith is frustrated. He's struggling with life. This is why most preachers don't preach on this book, and it's why a lot of Christians don't like the book. 
In fact, I've had some of you come to me throughout this series saying, you know what, before this, I never really liked the book of Ecclesiastes. I always thought it was too negative. But now I'm beginning to understand it. Now I'm beginning to see the value in it. And that's, that's the point. Koheleth is inviting you in to the struggle. You see, most people try to gloss over the reality of life. They just try to put a, a smiley sticker on it and, and move on. A lot of people want to think about life like this, right? Everything's sweet and pretty kittens and flowers and everything's fine, when the reality is life is like this. It is fallen. It is broken. It is vicious. And so what Coelith is, is doing, he's looking at life under the sun, and he's saying, it's frustrating. It will drive you mad. It's a struggle. That's why throughout the book he'll say, and this too is vanity, and this too is vanity, and this too is vanity. Here's what I want to say to us as a faith family. Christians, of all people, ought to know this. We ought to understand more than anybody else that this is how life is because we have the Bible. Well, listen to Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And Paul is saying, listen, life is not sugar and spice and everything nice. Real life is not pretty kittens and ribbons. Real life is a struggle. And so Ecclesiastes or Coelith is saying, you've got to learn to stop looking at life through sentimental eyes where everything's great and your best life is now. And you've also got to stop looking through the lens of everything is a downer and everything's depressing and take a realistic view of how life is. I think that's why this series has been uh, has received such great feedback from people in terms of its relevancy. Like they felt like you're talking about me, you're talking about my life, you're talking about the culture in which we live. Listen to uh, an email that I received uh, just a, a few weeks back. It said, quote, I want to say that I'm grateful for you talking about it being okay to be sad, to be in pain to be distressed by the circumstances of life, that it's okay to struggle. Or like the young man I talked to him just this past Sunday, he came up to me and he said, you know what, I've never been involved in church uh, in my life. Never been involved. But now I'm getting involved here. And the reason is, the reason why I'm involved in this place is because you people don't BS. Except he didn't say BS. And he didn't offend me at all. Can I let you in on a little secret? Life in a fallen world is fallen. Look at me. It is okay to not be okay. Why? Because this world is not okay. It's fallen and broken and under a curse. And Coelith is inviting you to be honest about that. 
We have people in this faith family that I know, people who are dealing with miscarriages, dealing with medical issues, worried about retirement, they're single and lonely, their marriage is struggling, they're frustrated with work, their faith is up one minute and down the next, they're trying to keep a business afloat, they have an eating disorder, they're battling depression. Listen, we at Berean are a faith family that understands that that verse, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength is not some Christian cliche. It's a promise that's been tested in crisis. Because we know that that little verse was written by a man who found contentment in prison. Now, does that mean we despair? Well, of course not. Because listen to Jesus' words in John 16. 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. This isn't absent of peace. This isn't absent of hope. In the world you will have tribulation. You will suffer. But take heart, that is, have peace, have hope. I have overcome the world. So, so what I'm suggesting, what I think the father is telling his son he needs to learn, is Coelth actually invites you in to have an honest look about life where, yes, you have hope and, yes, you have peace, but you're also honest that it's messed up and life is a struggle. That's not only the lesson that Coelth has taught us, that the father wants his son to learn, but also that life under the sun Not only a struggle, but it also has no solutions. Life under the sun has no solutions. I've I've quoted this verse multiple times, so maybe you'll remember it beyond this series. Uh, Look at chapter 1 and verse 15. This is is like Coelho's favorite verse. It's it's his main proverb that kind of summarizes everything for you. Chapter 115 says, What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. That is, life is a question you can't answer. It's a problem you can't solve. Because that's what he's been doing, right? Uh, Throughout this whole search, he's been trying to answer the question of what gives life meaning. How do you make sense out of this? And he's tried everything. He's tried sex. He's tried money. He's tried accomplishments. He's tried power. But the thing is, is, is though those things might be good or enjoyable, uh, they, they don't answer the ultimate question of life. They can't solve that problem. Like It doesn't matter how many Harvard degrees you have, all of that education won't solve why your spouse died at 30. There's not enough knowledge in the world to answer that question. There's not enough alcohol in the world to answer that question. There's not enough resume building and being CEO every day and twice on Sunday enough to answer that question. These things are not necessarily bad. They they just they still leave you in the middle of night saying, "What's the answer? How how do you solve the the real issues?" of life. The reality is, if you live long enough, at some point, you're going to feel like this. Just 
<laughs> completely confused. Like, what's, what's going on? What's happening here? I can't make sense out of life. Now, uh, the Father says this as well. Look at chapter 12 and verse 12 where he says, My son, beware of anything beyond these of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. And so what he's saying is, think about all the books we have. Think of all the books that have been written. Think about all the books that line the shelves of your office, of libraries, at schools, and yet what? We still are searching for answers. we got a whole lot of books but not a lot of answers. You know, it was interesting as thinking about this. There was a, an article that was written with satire uh, about the launch of the new iPhone, but the language of the article uh, got my attention, and you'll see why. Listen to what the article said. Quote, Apple rocked the gadget world today with the news that the iPhone includes a new feature. Okay? Here's the new feature. It gives shape and purpose to, listen to this language, to previously empty and meaningless lives. If Coelith just had an iPhone, he would have solved all of his problems, right? If he would have just had that piece of technology. My point is, we don't have so much like all the books in our modern day. Our modern day is all about apps, Right, it's all about the apps that you have. For instance, there's an, uh, an app that's a pocket heat app. Uh, you turn it on and you, you put it in your back pocket and it kind of warms the behind, right? Uh, then you've got another app that's about Annoy a Teen app. It said there's high-frequency sounds that adults cannot hear to keep kids off your lawn, now, who is making this stuff, right? And then another one, another app I saw that's actually designed to help you survive the apocalypse. Seriously. I'm pretty sure when the apocalypse happens, your cell phone's not even going to work, okay? My point is, we have all these apps, and yet, look at me for a moment, Yet you will go through a season of life, and there will not be an app for that. There will not be a book for that. There will not be enough knowledge under the sun to answer your questions. Notice the third lesson that Coelith would teach us that this father wants his son to know, and that is that life under the sun can't bring satisfaction. Look back at chapter 6. I'll just mention this briefly because if you want the full sermon that's just like two weeks ago that we talked about this, but look at it, chapter 6, verse 1. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth and possessions and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. So he gets everything his heart desired, yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It's a grievous evil. Now look at verse 7. This is his proverb. All the toil of man is for his mouth, so he's always hungry, he's always wanting to eat, yet his appetite is never 
satisfied. Can you enjoy these things? Of course you can. But will they bring you ultimate satisfaction in life? Absolutely not. Why? As we've seen throughout, because all these things are temporary. They're all temporary, and therefore they cannot ultimately satisfy. If you pursue knowledge, you end up with more questions. If you pursue pleasure, it keeps you coming back for more. If you pursue success, you're either always trying to get to the top or you're always trying to stay at the top. If it's love, well, soulmates die. If it's money, it will likely be left to a num-num. If it's power, you're likely to abuse it. And all the while, death lingers, making everything in life short-term. You may not want to hear this, but it's true. It may not be what you like to hear, but the Father is telling the Son, pay careful attention to this. Life under the Son is a struggle. Life under the Son cannot ultimately give you solutions. And life under the Son will not bring you ultimate satisfaction. So, say, come here. So I want to teach you, Son... How you live. Given that what Coelith has said is right, given that what he said cannot be argued against, I want to, because of that truth, teach you how to live in light of that truth. So what shifts here in the text in chapter 12 is this. Coelith moves, or, or the, the father rather, moves from his affirmation of Coelith, everything he said is right, to his alternative to Coelith. So he was right up until everything or everything that he said, but here's where he didn't go far enough. Look now at verse 13 in chapter 12. The end of the matter. So here's the conclusion. All has been heard. We've heard everything Coelith's had to say, and he's been right. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So in other words, right here, Coelith was right in as far as he went, but he didn't give you the best solution. He didn't give you the right solution, right? So the doctor was right on diagnosis, but wrong on cure. Right on diagnosis, wrong on cure. That is how to live life. Now you say, how do you know that this is an an alternative view to life than what Coelith gave us? Well, uh, notice that phrase that we just read, the whole duty of man, or really it's it's literally the whole of man. Uh, The Hebrew here is kal ha-adam, Call ha Adam, the whole of man, Adam. Now, the reason why I point that out is simply to make this point. That is exactly the phrase Koheleth uses three other times in the book. 
It's a summary statement. Now, unfortunately, I'm not going to spend time here. Unfortunately, our English translations don't translate that phrase the exact same way every time. So it makes it difficult sometimes to, to, to see the connection. But I want to show you just one example where Koheleth used it. And then I'll show you why the Father's using that to give you a different alternative. Uh, look at chapter 3 and verse 12. Chapter 3 and verse 12. This is Coella speaking. He says, I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. And here it is, the call ha adam. This is God's gift to man. Okay? So he uses that same phrase that the narrator will use, the father will use at the end of the book. So, so Coella's summary statement, his end of the matter, if you will, is this. Watch. Live for yourself. Live for yourself by following or obeying your desires, your, your pleasure. Take pleasure in your toil. And number three, because this life is all there is. So live for yourself, following your desires, because this is the best you can do in this life. Now, those three things are important. I'll mention them again quickly, because I want you to see the contrast of the Father at the end of chapter 12. So live for self, follow your desires, because this life is all there is. All right? Now watch the contrast to that from the Father. Back in chapter 12 and verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, so there's one, and keep his commandments, there's two. This is the call ha adam, the, the whole of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment. There's three. So let's unpack those quickly. Fear God, here's the point. Fear God rather than living for self which just simply means put your focus on God rather than on you. Like be reverent in your worship by putting Him as first place in your life. To fear God is to revere God in such a way that you want to love Him with all your heart. And so fear God and live for self are two very different focuses in life. One is focused on you, and the other one is completely focused on God and who He is. Um, famous evangelical pastor Tony Evans uh, describes the fear of God this way. I think this is exactly to the point. He says, quote, The old belief centuries ago was that the sun revolved around the earth. As we now know, this belief is wrong. The earth revolves around the sun. Many of us have got it wrong in our spiritual lives. God doesn't revolve around us. We revolve around Him. Now watch this. We know that we fear God when we have made Him the centerpiece of our lives. Do you see how that's different than Koelith? Eh, the best you can do is live for you. But the father's saying, oh, no, 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 son. The best you can do is fear God. Make him the centerpiece of your life. Secondly, 
keep his commands rather than obeying your desires. Simply means that rather than living for sinful pleasures, you pursue God's pattern. And this isn't purely keep the rules. You know, some of you, because you know here at, at, at Berean, like we are pretty uh, anti against legalism. It is a false gospel. But don't read this as being like, yeah, you just got to follow the rules and Christianities. You, you know, can't do this and got to do that. that. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about this. You have got to trust God as the creator of life, that he knows what's best for life. That is, the way he structured it, the way he designed it, the way he created it is the best way. It's not how you want to live it. It's not the desires that you want to have. It's this is the pattern that God has put, put in life, and we are to pursue that. Whether that be marriage, God has designed it, and we want to mess with that design. Or whether it be sex, God has designed it this way, and we want to mess with that. Whether it be money, whatever the situation may be, because God is the centerpiece of our life, because we fear Him, we're a lot more concerned about His pattern than our own desires. We want to live life the way God has called us to live life, not how we want to live it. It's why in Psalm 1, that beautiful imagery of a man who is meditating on God's law day and night, he says that it is his delight to meditate on God's law. Why is that? I want you to listen to this. Because God's commandments are not restrictions to our pleasure. They are guidelines for our pleasure. They're not restrictions to, they're, they're helps for, guidelines for our pleasure. When you live according to the design God has given it, it's all the more enjoyable. It's like if you think about a, a road-closed sign and you see this, sure, you may be frustrated that you've got to go a different way, but most of us fully understand that that was put in place, as frustrating as it may be, for your safety, for your good, for your health. The same is that of the commands of God. And then notice lastly, we fear God rather than live for self. We keep his commands rather than obey our desires because, and that's the four in verse 14, because of eternity. Because we don't believe that this is all there is. We don't believe that this life is all that there will be. And so we're living in light of the future. We're preparing ourselves for eternal life. And so we're going to be tempted, just as the father knows that his son will be tempted, to always be short-sighted, to live for the now, to be narrow-focused. And so the father is calling his son back. No, 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 no. You have to understand the eternity is in perspective in how we live. We will stand before God. The judgment of God is real. And so I want you to live in a different way. Then Koheleth has suggested. So let me summarize it by saying this. Son, faith family, you've got to learn 
to live by faithful obedience. Not because life makes sense, but because it doesn't. Because life doesn't make sense is all the more reason why you've got to live a life of faith. Living by obedient faith when life doesn't make sense is the only way you can make sense out of life. That that's what the Father's teaching the Son. You're going to go out there and you're going to struggle. You're going to go out there and you're going to have things that don't satisfy. You're going to go out there and you're going to have answers that you can't get to the questions that you're facing. How do you live in that? You fear God. You follow His pattern because you're living for eternity, not for now. That's the strategy for life. That's how life that finds meaning is lived. And so this is so beautiful how the end of Ecclesiastes gives us two very clear ways of living. You can live this way. You can focus on yourself, following your own desires, because you believe this is all you got. Or... You can focus on God, follow His pattern and commands because you're living with an eternal perspective. And the whole point of Ecclesiastes is it's only the latter that finds meaning. It's only the one who steps back and says, this isn't about me anymore. I'm fully surrendered to God and His ways for the sake of eternity that actually makes sense out of life. Now, how would this life of faith begin? Where would one start to find how this life uh, can be lived? It's very, very interesting. The language that the Father uses, let me show it to you, verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. Isn't that interesting? Now remember, this book is divinely inspired. The ultimate author is God. So what's the point? Right here. I need everybody to hear this. He's saying that wisdom, that is the ability to understand life, is like firmly fixed nails that are given by one shepherd. Now, why would the book end that way? Why would the divine author put that end as the book closes? Here's why. Because you and I are Kohelet. Every one of us. We're just like him. We are looking to things and chasing after all the wrong things to give us meaning. Listen to how Isaiah says it in Isaiah 53 verse 6. For all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Just like Kohelet. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We are all running this way and that way. Maybe this will give meaning. Maybe this will make sense. 
And we're running all over the place, and yet what we don't realize is we're never going to find meaning without a shepherd. You're running around trying to find the meaning of life when all the while you're never going to find it without a shepherd who's leading you in life. And Jesus said in John 10 verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture, that is, find meaning. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Don't you see? Jesus has been the answer to every search throughout the book of Ecclesiastes and for your life as well. If it's knowledge you seek, Jesus is wisdom. If it's pleasure you seek, Jesus turns water into the best wine. If it's money you want, Jesus gives a kingdom currency that will not be destroyed. If it's hunger you're after, Jesus is the bread of life. If it's love that you desire and yet your loved one dies, Jesus offers a love that not even death can separate you from. You feel like life is just a treadmill. It's the same thing over and over and over again. Jesus came into the treadmill and broke out. He broke the pattern away so that you could have life everlasting. And if it's death that you're concerned about, we'll take heart. This good shepherd laid his life down for the sheep and he conquered the grave. The answer to your search is the shepherd Jesus Christ. So whatever your search is, and it's something, whatever your search is, you need a shepherd. You need Jesus Christ who is guiding your life for you to make sense out of life. And so I invite you today, I plead with you today to do these things. First, be honest about your struggle. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. Be honest. Secondly is you got to identify your substitutes. Oh, the book of Ecclesiastes so helps us with this. Like, what is that thing you're after? What is that thing that you are running to? All of us have one. And you know what? If you're here, and, and even, even if it's not Jesus, though I hope it will be Jesus, I would at least plead with you to just identify what it is. That substitute that you're looking to for meaning in life. Thirdly is to see Jesus as the one who satisfies. To see Him as the good shepherd. That that's where a life of wisdom, a life of meaning starts and ends. So that lastly, you could put an end to your search. As Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find Him. Faith family, the book of Ecclesiastes is not just about a man named Coelith. 
just like in The Princess Bride, there's a story behind the story. And you know what? That's not just true for Ecclesiastes. That's true for your story. You see, behind all the story of life under the sun, of searching for meaning in that, trying to make sense out of this, there lies another story that's all about a father and a son. A father who so loved the world that he gave his only son. A son who knows that finding meaning in life is like firmly fixed nails. And I ask you today, does your story end in his? Because that is the only way your search will ever be complete. And all God's people said, all right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this amazing, amazing book. You have taught us so much. And I, I pray that today we would see clearly the two ways of living. One is focused on self, following the rules we've made, because it just thinks that all that matters is now. But there's a better way, a right way of living, a, a, a way of living that ends in meaning. And that starts with fearing you, pursuing you, and the way you've designed our life. Because we believe there's more than what we see. And all of that starts and ends with the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. I pray we know him today. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.